and welcome to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by Nualgia, the innovative medical nutrition company dedicated to improving patients' lives through specialised and affordable supplements. My name is Corinne Toyne and I'm a registered dietitian and marketing specialist at HRS Communications. We invite you to drop into the Dietitian Cafe as we discuss the latest nutrition trends, topics and research. Every month, two episodes are released. One is an interview with a featured guest and the other a debate highlighting a hot topic in the world of nutrition and dietetics. Before I start, can I ask you a huge favour? If you enjoy the Dietitian Cafe podcast, we'd be super grateful if you could press that follow button. More subscribers means more exciting guests and more interesting conversations for you, our listeners. Thank you. So grab a cuppa or whatever you fancy and join me for today's interview episode, where I'm honoured to be chatting to the British Dietetic Association, CEO Liz Stockley and co-chair of BDA's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Committee, Susan Price. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the vital topic of equality, diversity and inclusion in dietetics and considering the role and work of the BDA in addressing all forms of inequality in the profession. So without further ado, welcome Susan and Liz. I'll hand over to you to introduce yourself a little further. Liz, let's start with you, please. Oh, thanks, Corinne. It's um, a pleasure to be here. Um, talking to you today. After 19 years working in senior leadership roles in New Zealand, I returned to the UK, joining the BDA as CEO in mid-2022. The BDA has a a growing membership, currently over 10,500 strong, and as well as being the professional body for dietitians, it's also the trade union. Um, prior to this appointment, I was the CEO of General Practice New Zealand, um, and I was a board number, member for a number of high-profile organisations in the health, mainly in the health sector in New Zealand. I'm passionate about equality and about developing future leaders. Thanks ever so much, Corinne. Um, it's it's great also to be uh, be here as well. So um, I was born in North Wales. Um, that's where I grew up. And it was um, during my time at school, it was when I was doing my GCSEs that I thought, actually, yes, I want to be a dietitian. This is what I'd like to, like to do. So after graduating from Robert Gordon um, University in Aberdeen, um, I went on to get my first graduate post in a NHS acute hospital. Um, and I've been really fortunate privileged to work in a range of adult acute and community uh, posts. I've worked as a sports dietitian, I've worked as a research uh, dietitian um, and then more recently I was the uh, head of nutrition and dietetics um, and um, for over a decade actually uh, I did that role and still worked clinically within the areas of gastroenterology and critical care. Um, So it's more recently, um, over the last couple of years, where I've been appointed to the role of Deputy Director for Health and Wellbeing and Inclusion, um, and I continued practice as a critical care dietitian. Thank you so much for those introductions. What amazing careers you've had to date. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So let's get started with a few quick fire questions to get to know you both a little better. What is your dream holiday destination, Liz? How about you? Um, I love holidays. Um, anyway, with warm sea, old buildings, good walks, great restaurants and fantastic company, and I'm happy. Sounds lovely. Susan, what do you think? 
So for me, it's absolutely anywhere by the coast. I, uh, I, that's where I grew up. I love the coast. Um, and um, yeah, anywhere that's got some really good food and restaurants is a bonus as well. <laughs> Sounds good. And Liz, what have you been enjoying on TV recently? Well, I, I've got two teenagers and a husband, so I don't often have the power of the remote control in our house. So I tend to watch whatever's on. Um, I am reading a good book at the moment, though, so I'm happy to re- recommend that. That's um, A Taste of Ginger by Mansi Shah. Ah, lovely. I'm also reading a good book at the moment called Lessons in Chemistry. Have you heard of that? Oh, book? that's fantastic. I yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was definitely a good one. Love a good book. And a TV show. Susan, what about you? What's your uh, favourite TV show at the moment? So I, my go-to TV shows tend to be um, like the American dramas, like Grey's Anatomy or um, anything that's nice. to do with the with the emergency uh, services. But I've literally just started a comedy uh, called A Black Lady Sketch Show. Um, mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's not one that I've got much into, but so far, if you're if you're after a few laughs, it's definitely one I would I would suggest. Thank you for the recommendation. And Liz, what's your go-to ice cream flavour? <laughs> well, it depends where I am in the world. Um, if I'm in New Zealand, it's it's called Hokey Pokey, which is like vanilla ice cream with chunks of um, honeycomb in it. Um, and if I'm in Europe, it's mint chop chip all the way. Delicious. And Susan, how about you? So quite controversially, I'm not an ice cream fan. So there isn't really a favourite flavour. For, I know, there, I know, I know. So there isn't really a, f- a favourite flavour for me. But along those sorts of lines, then it would be a mango sorbet for me. Yummy. Thank you so much. So on to the questions. Now, many of our listeners are familiar with equality, diversity and inclusion concepts and initiatives. But to really make sure we're all on the same page and perhaps to give us a deeper understanding, do you mind sharing what they each mean and their importance? Liz, let's come to you first on this one. So for me, diversity refers to um, an individual's um, characteristics, um, the characteristics that that make somebody who they are. Everyone is an individual. Um, and it's that special individual mix of characters and traits um, that, that, that creates what we bring to the, the room. Um, diversity is about ensuring the key characteristics we're encouraging, hearing and supporting are wide ranging and varied. There's lots of um, evidence that demonstrates uh, the benefits of diversity within a team. Um, diversity of char- characteristics encourages diversity of thought and that's what we're really looking for because that creates um, an environment of creativity and problem solving and results in faster and more effective decision making. Inclusion for me is about ensuring everybody is welcomed and feels like they belong um, to the extent that they can be comfortable being themselves and bringing all aspects of their true self to a forum Um, and equity is about outcomes um so equality you can be um equal in your um contributions to something but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get equitable outcomes it's about focusing on providing the required inputs to ensure everyone can have the opportunity to attain the same outcomes some people will need more support more care more resources than others in order to achieve the same things 
Achieving equity means identifying the outcomes we want for all participants and then ensuring we've got we've put the right inputs in place to get everybody there. The challenge comes when we have limited resources available to achieve something. And then the temptation that we see is for people to focus on the majority um, and getting the majority over the line, um, which means accepting that some people will miss out. Um, this is often unconscious um, in terms of decision making. And it, 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 I think for me, um, asking the question, who will be advantaged by this? helps us to focus on actually wh- where do we need to put more resource to get everybody over the line. Thank you. Thank you for explaining because there is that kind of subtle difference in spelling between equity and equality and sometimes that's quite easy to miss. So yeah, you, you explain that. Having spent the last 19 years in New Zealand, um, the conversation is very much about equity there mm. um, and it's about equitable outcomes for Māori and Pacific particularly. Um, So for me, the conversation has um, changed from being specific to Māori and Pacific um, people to being more broad and about all all elements of diversity um, and vulnerability. Yeah, thank you. I I went on the BDA website prior to this conversation and saw a really lovely diagram on there about uh, equality is giving everyone the same platform. Equity is understanding that everyone has different needs and that therefore some people may need bigger platforms or lower platforms depending on their needs. That was a really lovely way to demonstrate the difference between the two words, which sound the same, but mean something very different. So Susan, what do you think? Can you kind of add to that and build on um, your understanding? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, um, would would echo what what Liz has said there. And I um, for me, I think that when we hear the word EDI, um, uh, certainly um, traditionally, that's been very much focused on equality, which sounds great, doesn't it? Everything equal for everybody. That sounds wonderful. But I really believe that we've got to change that E to equitable. That's what we've got to do. That's the place that we need to to move, uh, move for. And I think also the other thing that is missing with the EDI is actually about them people feeling that they belong so that we're moving from this situation that isn't just a tick box, but how do we make things equitable for people? And then how do we make sure that uh, that people uh, people belong? Because the thing with um, with needing to make things um, equitable is that we are not all the same. We are not all starting from the same starting point. So actually, if we make things just equal, then automatically people have an, a head start and automatically people are starting uh, starting behind. Now, the things with making things equitable um, is that that actually can be quite uncomfortable for us. Um, it's got to be done in the right way, but it can actually feel quite uncomfortable that we're not being equal. So we've got to really make sure that we know why we're making things equitable and we are doing that in a fair in a fair way uh, for everybody because we know different people are going to need different levels of support and different guidance at different um, different points. I think the other aspect that we need to be thinking about, so we know where we're all talking about, is as I've just touched on, the belonging, because that's really key, isn't it? Because as I've said, otherwise it just becomes a tick box. So we've got to ensure that people have got that voice, that voice is heard, and so that people then feel that they uh, that they belong. 
And then the last thing from me on this this particular point, just so for the rest of this uh, podcast, we we all know what we're talking about, is that when we're talking about EDI, we're talking not only about the nine protected characteristics, but anything actually that can make people feel that they're excluded and that they don't don't belong. Sometimes when we hear EDI, we very often just think about ethnicity or we might just think about disability or perhaps sexual orientation. But there is so much that EDI encompasses. It's not just about um, uh, those things, but it's also about perhaps you're a carer, perhaps you're a parent, perhaps you work part time. There's lots of different things that um, encompasses around, um, around EDI. So let's just remember that as we go through the rest of this podcast. Brilliant. Great to hear your perspectives. So just coming back to you there, Susan, diversity and inclusion in dietetics was your chosen subject for the Elsie Woodison Memorial Lecture. Is this an area you've always been passionate about? Yes, it actually is. And it's only with with hindsight that I suppose I realise that I've always been um, being passionate about this, uh, this area, this sense of um, ensuring that the people who are in a so-called minority can have a voice that they can actually feel that they belong is something that I think has always been a core value for myself, really, for as long as I can remember. Um, I've been hugely influenced by um, by my parents. Um, and to a certain extent, some aspects of my schooling um, that um, that has really sort of like ignited this passion um, from me. Now, it was a huge privilege to have been asked to deliver the um, Ellswithson Memorial Lecture. So I felt a real great sense of responsibility to be able to use my voice on that platform to bring this particular topic to a wider um, a wider audience. And I wanted to bring it to as many dietitians, many student dietitians, um, dietetic assistants, support workers. Um, and what I really hoped was that it would just get people talking, get people thinking, get people beginning to do a little bit of a self-reflection, but then a team reflection um, as well. Because one of the things when it comes to EDI is that we've got to talk. Um, if we don't talk about this, then that's that's even that's you know that's not that's not good. And um, we've got to talk about it and we've got to get comfortable with having these uncomfortable conversations um, as well. Because if we're feeling comfortable about EDI, if we're feeling that we've got all of this sorted, then we most definitely don't. Great, yeah, couldn't agree more. So you've talked about maybe what influenced you, but what inspires you to continue to do the work that you do? So my inspiration for the work that I do, both as a dietitian, but also um, as a healthcare professional, an AHP, a therapist, and now within my role working within staff wellbeing and inclusion, is, is absolutely coming from wanting to create a better place for patients and create a better place for my colleagues um, as well. So knowing that the work that I'm doing, knowing that that's making a real difference for patients, knowing that it's making a real difference for my colleagues and um, and people is one of my real key uh, key drivers. I've absolutely been able to see the benefits of having diversity and improved diversity and how that has improved patient outcomes. And that's a real driver for uh, for me. 
But I've also been able to see how when you make your workplace more inclusive, when you make your workplace um, an organisation where everybody feels that they can belong, the improvement that that has for colleagues and improvement that has for people who then can flourish, who can then achieve their um achieve their potential. Liz talked earlier on about how um, future leaders is something that she's really interested in. And, and so am I. And I think that having that inclusive workplace, we can create the best future leaders that we need, um, that we need. Now, the flip of that is that really sadly, I've seen that when you don't have an inclusive place, how that can have a detrimental effect on our patients, um, how it just means that health inequalities just don't get improved and actually are, are worse. And really sadly, I've also seen that when we don't have that inclusive workplace, the negative effect it can have on colleagues, how people can become very isolated, how they don't achieve their potential. So, so my driver is when I've seen the benefits, but it's also when really sadly I've seen how it doesn't work as well as it should be and therefore um, on how we need to make that change. I'm also really inspired and motivated in wanting to make the profession of dietetics um, as fully inclusive as it can be for uh, for everybody so that anybody who wants to come into that role of the profession um, of the wider healthcare, but specifically around dietetics, that they can see it as being a place um, for them. Now, I identify as a mixed race Welsh woman um, and certainly from my ethnicity's point of view, back when I was doing my GCSEs, there was nobody I could identify with. There was nobody that looked like me in any of the pr promotional material um, on how it was of being, wanting to become a dietitian. And it was through the, you know, the thanks of my of my parents who were like, you know, just go for it, go for it, Susan. It doesn't matter that there's nobody that looks like like you that I I did. And I think that while things have got better, certainly here we are now in 2023. We've still got quite a way to go so that we do make the profession fully inclusive and we do make it a place that anybody, regardless of what their background is, what their protected characteristic is, that this is a profession that they can come into. So um, I'm inspired by all of these future um, dietitians and future um, healthcare professionals that are going to come through with this vast range of diversity that will make things better for our patients and make things better for Wow. Well, I'm certainly feeling very inspired after listening to you talk then. I know our listeners will be as well. So really appreciate you sharing your, your insights and, and your kind of um, understanding on, on the current situation and what needs to be done for things to be better. So, Liz, we'd love to hear a bit more about the British Dietetic Association um, or the BDA, as we like to abbreviate it to, and how as an organisation they've committed to improving EDI. So, for example, when did the work start, if it has already, and what are the timeframes on the current initiatives? So the, uh, the trade union has worked in the EDI space for a long time, both in terms of developing the EDI gender in the, the, the country um, as part of the trade union movement, and also in terms of supporting individuals in the workplace that may... Um, suffer some discrimination or some um, experience some negative um, behaviours or outcomes as a result of their characteristics. 
Um, but in terms of the association, I think it's fair to say that the EDI journey is in its infancy. Um, the committee began a few years ago with tremendous support from the trade union, um, and the trade union continues to provide expertise and support to the committee. We're in the process of um, relighting the fire under the committee. Um, the, 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 the committee um, has been through a little bit of a, a, a storming phase, I think it's fair to say, um, and we're in the process of really nutting out um, what the ask is of the committee and how the committee can bring its influence to bear on the strategic direction and the governance of the association. Um, this is timely because we're at the point of um, developing the next iteration of the BDA strategy. And our members are clearly telling us that they expect to be part of an organisation that demonstrates its commitment to EDI in all that we do. Um, it's not all about the committee and the strategy. The profession is at the point of recognising the need to change um, and demonstrating the desire to change. Uh, we now need to put the, the in place the steps um, to achieve this change. This, this means equipping our members to be leaders in this space, particularly in terms of equitable service delivery, so the services that they're providing to the, the general public, and also ensuring diversity and inclusion within the profession so that people feel that they belong within the profession and they um, have the opportunity to contribute to the profession, regardless of their background and their characteristics. And um, Susan and I had a conversation with a wonderful member of our um, of the profession the other day who referred to it as the superpower, um, which is a really positive way of thinking about diversity um, as a superpower because um, it, it really should be celebrated as that because it brings um, different characteristics bring with them a different viewpoint and we cannot have enough viewpoints brought into the room. Um, so we also need to ensure that our own internal activities as an organisation reflect the principles um, of EDI within our organisational activities and also within our governance. Well, so it's it a journey. Though, yes, and it sounds as though we're in great hands with you leading the way, Liz. And on that subject of leaders, Susan, as the co-chair of um, you know, the BDA's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners are interested in hearing about when it was founded and what its main aims are and maybe also who it's made up of. Yes, no, thank you. So it's absolutely brilliant that the BDA um, has uh, has the EDI committee. Um, it is still early days, so we are just in the process at the moment of fully forming the committee. So we did start um, a year or so ago, and then we just need, and as Liz has said, we you know great support from our um, trade union colleagues in the um, in the BDA. Um, but we're now then just building on that. So we've got our terms of reference. We're looking at out what the membership of the committee is going to going to be. Um, and just before I go on to a bit more of the committee, I just want to come back to that real point about leadership. And it is through the leadership of Liz as our CEO, 
Caroline as our as our chair that we're really able to take this part of um, of what we need to be doing within the BDA around EDI forward um, because actually that leadership is is really key. But we are at the early days and there is still lots of work that needs to be um, needs to be done. But we've got great passion. We've got great enthusiasm from the existing um, committee members and we absolutely are heading in the right direction. We've just undertaken a round of recruitment to take the committee to its full uh, full complement. And Liz and I um, and Martin, the other co-chair of the EDI committee, we have been blown away by the number of people who uh, want to join the committee, but also because of the, again, the enthusiasm, the drive, the passion and the real diversity of the skills that everybody that's approached us um, have been able to bring. I mean, I think it's a real testament as dietitians, the different variety of people and the different variety of skills that we uh, that we have. And I think that the sheer number of people who have approached us is really reflective of how the membership sees this as such a really important um, piece of work that the uh, that the profession needs to be um, needs to be looking uh, looking at. So we will be um, making sure that we uh, we take on board everybody in some shape or capacity that has shown um, has shown his interest because there is a lot of work a uh, lot of work to be uh, to be done um, and I think really the aim of the committee is to ensure that we place and we work with the profession, we work with the BDA, so the EDI is at the core of everything that we do, so that we ensure that the BDA or the profession isn't looking at EDA, EDI sorry, as some sort of add-on that's just put on one side. This absolutely needs to be the core of everything that we do wonderful to hear and I'm so delighted there was a such a high amount of interest. Can you tell us what the top priorities are for the committee at present? Maybe Liz I'll go to go to you for this one. So the, the top priority I alluded to earlier was the um, is the BDA strategy ensuring that EDI is um, woven throughout the whole strategy is imperative. We did um, talk at the committee about having a separate EDI strategy, um, but the feeling certainly there and also at the, um, the board of directors is that we should have a single strategy. We should have a single BDA strategy and uh, that should reflect our commitment to EDI at all points. Um, rather than having separate strategies which might divert attention and um, create some conflict in, in priorities. Um, so the strategy is absolutely the, the, the first point. Um, the other things that the committee will be leading out on is really around making sure that the governance of the organisation is reflecting in the organisation's activities um, that commitment to EDI. Um, this is about making sure that there's strong leadership um, in the EDI space, making sure that we are measuring and acknowledging um, where we currently are and what needs to change, um, giving some guidance as to how to make the changes um, so that we can um, actually be doing something in this space. There's nothing worse than creating a committee and a big work program and then nothing actually happening. 
Um, one of the things that um, has really impressed me when I've been having conversations with our members about the development of the strategy has been that this commitment to EDI and the need to see more actually happening in this space. Um, I think we've been as an organisation committed to EDI for a while, but the activities are not necessarily visible to members. So we need to be doing that. We need to be developing all of our members as leaders in on this agenda. Um, so, so the work of the committee really is about benchmarking where we are and guiding the organisation through to actually how do we make changes um, how do we become something different? And it's, you know, Susan alluded earlier to the fact that it's um, it's not a comfortable conversation all the time. And the reason it's not comfortable is because we do carry um, assumptions and biases. Uh, we all have them. Um, and we need to sometimes have somebody point those out to us Um uh, because we can, uh, it's very easy to have those ingrained into the practices and the uh, the norms of an organisation. And we need someone to be holding that lens up to us all the time and saying, actually, this isn't acceptable. Great. And with the Groups and Branches Day coming up, um, Susan, I know that you're potentially going to be co-chairing um, or leading one of the sessions, sorry. Um, are you able to share any insights on this? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that day. It's always a great day, isn't it? When you get together with fellow dietitians and, and fellow members of the, uh, of the, the BDA and the profession. So it's going to be a great day. Um, really looking forward to it, but I'm really looking forward to actually engaging and hearing from the groups and branches ideas. What do they think about EDI and the profession? What do they think that they need to be, um, need to be doing? One of the things that I really want to get across um, to everybody there is why we need to be doing this, how we need to be doing this, but how do we do this together? Because with everything, it needs to be a let's do this together, not a done to approach. And I see that exactly in the same um, same way when I come along here um, to the Groups and Branches Day. So I really want to, again, hopefully engage with them, um, with them, with the Let's not see this as an add-on. Let's see this in the same way that the BDA is doing, that it's a core part of the strategy. Let's see how we can make this the core part of all act activities that our groups and branches are doing. Okay, great. So if our listeners are keen to get involved in the committee, is there something they can do, Liz? Well, as Susan was saying, we've been absolutely oversubscribed with fabulous candidates for the um, formal committee roles that we have um, at the moment. Um, there, there will be a work programme associated with the revamped committee, um, and we will be looking for people to contribute to those. Um, we'll also be looking to engage the enthusiasm that's um been made apparent through this process in in other um, places within the organization for example we've got the um, advert out at the moment for the BDA chair designate role it's really really important that there is an EDI lens over that recruitment process and I had a meeting with the selection committee this morning and they fully agree with that so we will be looking to engage um, somebody with a good knowledge and background in the EDI space to support that committee's 
important work. Brilliant. It's great to hear your insight kind of what's going on behind the scenes at the BDA. There's clearly so much work being done on a day-to-day basis. So thank you for sharing. Now, improving EDI in the workplace has been a focus for many organisations recently. Generally, what steps are you seeing organisations take to make the workplace more inclusive, equitable and compassionate? Liz, let's start with you. Yeah, this is a really good question because it's been um, talked about for a long time. Um, And um, we're now seeing organisations recognise and accept the research that's been done into sustainability within an organisation. And to be sustainable, an organisation organization needs to be balanced um, in terms of um, environmental commitment, in terms of social commitment, as well as in terms of the traditional governance commitments. So those three elements need to be um, balanced for an organisation to be sustainable. And that social commitment really reflects the EDI agenda. Um, Unless we address these three areas in conjunction, um, we're not going to be able to be operating sustainably. In the wider economy, we're seeing um, actions like shareholder activism take hold, with shareholders holding companies to account for elements of social responsibility. And um, particularly in the, the space of socially responsible investment strategies, which is fantastic, Um, We're also seeing other trends like procurement strategies. Um, So you'll know this if you work in the NHS, um, where we're requiring requiring suppliers to demonstrate social responsibility, particularly in the areas of EDI um, and climate sustainability. Um, These examples of action have been a long time coming, so it's good to see traction starting to happen in this space. Um, Within individuals' organisations, we're definitely seeing acknowledgement of diversity as part of strategic planning. Um, And at the operational level in matters, for example, recruitment, um, there's been a definite trend in baselining. So measuring the levels of diversity in membership, in membership organisations, and also within staff teams. We're not seeing a huge amount of measurement in the inclusivity space yet. Um, And I guess that's hard to measure because it's so much about how somebody feels. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and do it. Um, So that's something that we need to be looking at. Um, Specifically within membership bodies, we are um, seeing members as well as staff demanding better from their associations and expecting progress in this space. Um, So we certainly hear from our members at the BDA, and I know other membership organisations, particularly those we're close to in the AHB space, are feeling the same. So I think that the the definite trend is towards uh, addressing this formally um, and not just through not not allowing it to happen organically. And Susan, what are your thoughts? So just just picking up, first of all, on the data side of of things. So those organisations that are looking at literally the makeup of their um, of the the people that are working within them, then they know what their starting point point is. Now, when we're asked questions around, you know, do you have a disability? What's your sexual orientation? Are you a parent? Are you a carer? What's your ethnicity? Sometimes that can make us feel a little bit, again, uncomfortable. Well, why? Why do you want to know that information? 
So it has to be done in the right way. But those organisations that don't have that data, you have no idea what your current um, makeup is of your workforce. And so therefore you don't know what your starting point is and therefore where are the areas that you need to change. So I think that those organisations that have done it in the right way, gathering that information is really important. The other thing is that those organisations that, um, that are going in the right direction on this, they have it from the top. I've talked about leadership already with Liz and, um, and Caroline from the BDA's perspective, but you've got to have that inclusive leadership at the top because it's our senior leaders that set the tone, no matter where it is that you work. And those organisations where the senior leaders are inclusive do create a space where people feel that they belong, do create an environment where everybody can have that voice and, and have that voice heard create a, um, a culture where that trickles down throughout everywhere. Because what happens in organisations is that we look towards our leaders and the tone that they set is the tone then that we actually copy and go along with as well. So if our leaders aren't setting that right inclusive tone, then that organisation isn't going to have an inclusive inclusive tone. You know, I think particularly within healthcare, but actually in other organisations is um, as well, is that level of care that you walk by is the level of care that you accept. And that's the same when it comes to EDI, is that as leaders, that level of inclusivity that you allow to happen within your organisation is the level that you accept. So let's make sure that that level is set really, um, really high. I think also organisations that are debiasing processes are going to be really successful when it comes to EDI as well. Because actually, you know, for, for lots of good reasons that you could do a whole other podcast on, we all have processes within our, within our organisation. But if we can make sure that we take the biases out of those processes as much as possible, then that's really going to help create that inclusive organisation. And then also, let's think about those organisations that have done things differently. So, for example, if you only ever recruit in exactly the same way, using exactly the same format, you're probably only going to, in the main, attract a certain group of people. Whereas if we actually have a look of, right, OK, how can we actually recruit in a different way? What is the makeup of our interview panels? Do we always do the straightforward, we've got this set amount of questions, you come, you sit in front of you in an interview panel, et cetera, et cetera. Then we're probably only, only going to get a similar type of person. Whereas if we can look at things differently, then we can cast that net wider. We can increase the diversity of the people applying and therefore the diversity of people um, within our organisation, which is going to improve the outcomes um, for whatever it is that we, we are working in. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that all of that is really straightforward and really easy to do. But what I am saying is that we can't just sit back and do exactly the same thing because of that well-known saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Right. Liz, would you like to build on that at all? I, I would just like to um, 
bring in a couple of points. Um, Susan talked about leadership, um, and I would just like to point out that um, we're not just talking about leadership in people's formal management roles. Um, we've got some fantastic leaders in the profession in the EDI space. And they may or may not be in uh, management positions, but they are doing terrific things in their day jobs um, in the EDI space, but also within the association and more broadly within the whole sector. Amazing. Great to hear. So putting a focus back on to the BDA for a moment, what role is the BDA currently playing in addressing inequality within the workplace of dietitians? So, for example, campaigns, initiatives or frameworks. And what does this practically look like? So, for instance, does the BDA partner with the NHS? So this is very much in the in the, the space of the trade union. Um, the trade union within the BDA is um, working on this agenda at the national level as part of the trade union movement. Um, and at Mansell Green, who is the director in the trade union space, sits on the um, national committee um, for women's rights. Um, and she also promotes um, activity across the EDI agenda. Um, at the local level, the trade union reps are supporting individuals in the workplace who um, may have a negative experience as a result of an issue associated with uh, the EDI space. Um, so if, if a member is experiencing anything in that space, they should reach out in the first instance to their trade union rep. Um, and if, if for any reason there isn't a rep or that's not going to work, they need to reach out to the office. Um, so to make sure that we can absolutely support people in that space. Um, more broadly, we do need to do work on um, tools for people in leadership in the EDI space. We also provide um, training for all our staff internally. Um, it's important that internally the, the team are um, aware of EDI issues and are also reflecting um, the commitment to EDI uh, the commitment to equity in the work that they're delivering. Okay, thank you. So, of course, we have to point out that June is, of course, Pride Month. So let's take some time to focus on the LGBTQ plus community. Why is the role of healthcare providers in supporting the community so important? Susan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. So first of all, happy Pride Month to everybody and I hope everybody's enjoying their celebrations and all of the, uh, the raising of awareness during this month. So if I think about healthcare and think about our, our patients, so health inequalities for uh, for LGBT plus uh, people is, is an absolute uh, fact across all clinical areas, then we know people who identify as LGBT, um, they, they don't have the same experiences um, as somebody who identifies who is heterosexual. And that's just, that's just fundamentally wrong. So we've got to really ensure that our healthcare um, providers and as healthcare professionals, as dietitians, that we're doing all we can to ensure that our services are safe and accessible um, for everybody to to come and get healthcare. This isn't about hard to reach communities. It's about the fact that we've got to make our healthcare um, provision more accessible for, uh, for everybody. 
So certain things that can be done. We've had feedback from patients that says that the wearing of an NHS um, rainbow badge or a lanyard um, in different areas by healthcare professionals can be such a relief to them. It actually demonstrates that visible sign of support so that when they come into that healthcare environment, they automatically start to feel um, start to feel safer. By reviewing, updating our patient information so it is more inclusive, let's look at our language that we use in our patient information. How can we make that more inclusive? Little things like perhaps having pronouns on people's name badges, again, can make it more inclusive for people. I have my pronouns on my um, name badge um, and it's created some fabulous conversations that I've had with colleagues and patients about how that can be um, how that can be useful and also about how then people can go do you know what actually I'd really like it if you could call me or if you could use these pronouns with me don't assume that my pronouns are this and let's engage and have that conversation and then if we move on and think then about colleagues and the workplace. So we've also got to make our worst workplace a really safe and fully inclusive um, place for everybody who is LGBT um, as well. Because actually, if we don't, then that's not a nice place for any of us to uh, to work in. And that can sometimes take a bit of self-reflection, can't it? Acknowledgement of what our own biases um, are. So, for example, if you're talking to somebody and um, perhaps you're talking to uh, to a male colleague um, don't assume that their partner actually perhaps is um, is female perhaps if you're talking to a colleague and they've made reference um, to um, to having a female partner but then in a period of time going forward don't assume that their next partner that they'll have will also be female because then that's just making a really difficult conversation that um, that needs to potentially take Take, uh, take place. I think the other thing as well is that for our LGBT plus colleagues is that every time they meet somebody new, every time they join a new team, it can be that each time they're having to come out again, they're having to say their story again, which just isn't the case for our heterosexual um, colleagues. So what can we do to make our workplaces more inclusive for everybody and, and not making assumptions and then acknowledging our own biases? Because if we can make our workplaces more inclusive for our LGBT plus um, colleagues, if we can make sure that we're being that real, true, upstanding, proactive ally for them, then they're going to feel more comfortable um, at work. They're going to be able to bring their true self to work, which means that everybody then is going to be able to achieve their full potential. Right. And Liz, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, everything Susan said. Um, I, I think the the one other thing that I would add is that it's not just in the provision of services or support for colleagues. We also need to be inclusive in our development of the workforce and proactive in how we're developing the careers of those people from different backgrounds. Right. And these topics are often, you know, as you said previously, quite hard to talk about, but it's so important that we do address them to aim for future improvement for the lives of our colleagues and those that we care for. So does the BDA directly engage with its LGBTQ plus members to understand the issues facing them? 
Susan, what, what, what do you think on this? Yes, I think like everything when it comes to uh, where we are on on the uh, the the phrase, which is the EDI journey, we're in the early stages. Um, but hearing the voices of our um, LGBTQ plus members um, is so, so important, um, as it is for all protected characteristics. Um, but the reason why it's important is so we don't have this done to view, but we have this done with. With. So that when we're looking about things like commissioning of services, like our um, higher education um, programs, that actually we're hearing the voice of our LGBTQ plus members so that they can positively influence the change that we need to need to have. Right. I'd love to hear both of your perspectives on the future dietetic workforce. And we all know how important it is to encourage you know, a diverse range of dietitians, um, but that also will then apply to what we learn when we go to university and undergo a dietetics course. Do you think there are any gaps in the nutrition and dietetics degree curriculum around EDI? Both of you, I really appreciate your insights on this. So, yes, I think that there are gaps. Um, I um, a bit of a theme, I think, that one from this conversation is about how EDI has to be the core of everything that we do. This can't be just seen as a um, as an add on. And um, I believe that EDI, therefore, should be the core of all parts of the curriculum um, that it's woven into every lecture um, and every educational piece that there is. Um, and also really importantly on for our student dietitians when they're on their placement, both in terms of what they're learning, but really importantly, how that placive is it, that placement is fully inclusive for them. So therefore, how are we looking at their placements in terms of any neurodiversity needs? How are we looking on that placement um, for any student that has got a visible or non-visible disability? How do we make that placement really, um, really inclusive um, for them? And all of the aspects of EDI needs to be woven in there. So it's not just a case of, oh, well, we're now going to have a lecture on um, this particular um, ethnicity's diet. Uh, and it's just in there in isolation or it's an option for you to go along to do to do this. Because in, if we do it in that way, then we're developing a workforce for the future that doesn't have EDI at the core of everything that they're that they're doing. And that's not a workforce of the future that I feel is going to uh, going to benefit both the patients, the profession and all the other areas that dietitians work in. Liz, let's hear from you. Oh, everything Susan said, but I would just add that um, we also need to be teaching people um, confidence in standing up for things that they see that are not right and speaking up um, for things that they are, that are not right. So we need people to be leaving university with confidence that um, it's okay. And in fact, it's um, expected that you do need to um, stand up for colleagues, for patients, for anybody who's not um, being treated in the right way. Right. So we've heard a lot about EDI today, of course, but do you think that this work will ever be complete or is it always going to be a work in progress? 
This is a perpetual journey. Um, where the, the BDA journey is in its infancy. Um, and I've talked about the fact that we're not making it an individual project stream um, in an annual work programme, but it needs to be part of the core of how we do things around here. Um, whilst we need to be aiming to develop the workforce that better reflects the population being served, we also need to be reflecting on the services we're providing and the leadership that we're taking in this space. This journey will never be done. Um, it will never be a box that um, we can tick. Um, it will always be something we can do better in. Um, but what we need to do is um, make sure we get to a space where we recognise what we are doing and we understand what things we need to do differently. Okay, so to close off this episode, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, and I'm sure many of our listeners have too, what are your hopes for the future of EDI within the field of nutrition and dietetics? Liz, let's start with you and then perhaps we'll go to Susan if that's okay. Oh, thank you, Corin. I've really, really enjoyed today's um, episode as well and being part of it. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, I would absolutely like to see a profession in the future that better reflects the population, that celebrates and champions diversity, those superpowers that people have. Um, food is a significant theme that runs throughout different cultures, and it's a central element to um, how we celebrate all aspects of life. And dietitians are ideally placed to be leaders in equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, and I'd like to see them celebrated as this. We've got a long way to go, um, but I'm pleased to have so many really strong people in the profession who can help us get there, like Susan and Martin. Oh, thank you, Liz. And um, and yes, Corinne, it's it's been a fantastic conversation. So um, just to add, because I agree with everything that Liz has just summed up there, but just to add to that, um, it will be a profession where anybody and everyone, regardless of their background, where they're from, any protected characteristics, if they are interested in nutrition, science, food, people, that they can look and see that dietetics is a profession for them and that when they go into that profession it is a place where they feel included they are included and that they absolutely belong thank you a big thank you to liz and susan for coming onto the podcast today it was great to discuss edi and hear about how the bda are helping to educate more dietitians and provide support a huge thank you to noutra for making this podcast possible if you enjoyed listening to today's episode why not share this episode with a friend or colleague who you think you would find it interesting? Our next episode of the Dietitian Cafe will be out very soon. In the meantime, you can check out our previous episodes or head over to the RDTV Dietitian Cafe podcast, where once a month our student dietitian host discusses the world of dietetics with a range of guests, all aimed at aspiring dietitians. Thank you for joining us at the Dietitian Cafe. See you next time.